0: Chapter 31 of A Year's Prayer Meeting Talks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Recording by Dorcas Oliver. A Year's Prayer Meeting Talks by Lewis Albert Banks. Chapter 31 How Not to Want Everything First Thessalonians 2 It is easy enough to see what answer Paul would give to our question when we read this splendid paragraph in this love letter of the great apostle to the Christians at Thessalonica. Paul's glory and joy was in winning conquests for Christ as he expanded the kingdom of Jesus among men, his heart was filled with rejoicing. The matter of fame or money, or of personal comfort or luxury, became a very insignificant affair. It was a question of advancing the glory of Christ, whom he loved with all his soul, and winning lost men and women to know the joys of this new salvation in which he daily exalted this great purpose had such a hold on Paul that it entirely freed him from any slavish anxiety concerning minor things. Paul got hungry like other men, he got cold and shivered like others, he liked his freedom and to be chained to his guard was not pleasant to him more than to others. But none of these things had power to discourage him or give him any real sorrow since he was able to bear witness for christ and win souls to love his lord in spite of dungeon and chain and hunger and cold our lesson then is very simple to liberate yourself from a great many little wants you must have one supreme want which is so much greater than all the others that in its satisfaction you shall have your glory and your joy. If you think mostly about yourself, and let your mind concentrate on your personal comfort, it is marvellous how your wants will multiply, and what a host of ghost-like anxieties and cares will spring up to disturb your peace. Jerome K. Jerome, in his book, Three Men in a Boat, gives a striking illustration of how easily people can get into trouble if they set about morbidly brooding over their own personal condition. He was in the British Museum one day, reading up the treatment of some slight ailment which he thought was like hay fever. He got down the book and read all he came to read, and then, in an unthinking moment, he idly turned the leaves and began indolently to study diseases generally. He came to typhoid fever, read the symptoms, and it was borne in upon him that he certainly had it. He sat for a while, frozen with horror, and then, in the listlessness of despair, again turned over the pages. He turned to St. Vitus's dance, found, as he expected, that he had that too, began to get interested in his case, and determined to sift it to the bottom. And so he started alphabetically, read up ague, and learned that he was sickening for it, and that the acute stage would commence in about two weeks. Cholera he had with severe complications, and diphtheria he seemed to have been born with. He plodded conscientiously through the twenty-six letters, and the only malady he could conclude that he certainly did not have was housemaid's knee. We may laugh at that, but we do just as absurd things about the most important matters of life every day. Make the wants of your life paltry enough, and they will be thicker than the frogs in Egypt. Make the purpose of your soul large enough and all the smaller things will fall into their insignificant place and cease to trouble you.' Mr. Spurgeon had once been into the country to preach, and when travelling back to London suddenly found that he had lost his railway ticket. A gentleman, the only other occupant of the compartment, noticing that he was fumbling about in his pockets, said, "'I hope you have not lost anything, sir.' Mr. Spurgeon thanked him, and told him that it was his ticket that was missing, and that by a remarkable coincidence he had neither watch nor money with him. But, Mr. Spurgeon added, I am not at all troubled, for I have been on my master's business, and I am quite sure all will be well. I have had so many interpositions of divine providence, in small matters as well as great ones, that I feel as if— whatever happens to me, I am bound to fall on my feet like the man on the Manx penny." The gentleman seemed interested and said that no doubt it would be all right. When the ticket collector came to the compartment, he touched his hat to Mr. Spurgeon's travelling companion, who simply said, "'All right, William.'" Whereupon the man again saluted and retired. After he had gone Mr. Spurgeon said to the gentleman, "'It is very strange that the collector did not ask for my ticket.' "'No, Mr. Spurgeon,' he replied, using his name for the first time, "'it is only another illustration of what you told me about the providence of God watching over you even in little things. I am the general manager of this line, and it was no doubt divinely arranged that I should happen to be your companion, just when I could be of service to you. I knew you were all right, and it has been a great pleasure to meet you under such happy circumstances. If we are possessed by this supreme purpose to do the will of God, the circumstances which are around us will not be able to master us, but we shall influence our environment, just as a bed of roses pervades the air with its perfume if we kick against the pricks of life, we shall wound ourselves every time. But if we press forward with our eyes on the supreme prize, we shall not mind the scratches of everyday difficulty, more than the hunter does the thorns that tear his coat or even make the blood come as he pushes through the thicket after the game. If we confine our thoughts an expectation of happiness to the narrow round of this world's doing, we shall soon come to the end of our tether, like a horse that is staked out in the pasture, and the things we have will seem very small when compared to the things we want. A young Swedish girl was very homesick. "'You ought to be contented and not fret for your old home, Ina,' said her mistress, as she looked at the dim eyes of the girl you are earning good wages, your work is light, everyone is kind to you, and you have plenty of friends here. Yes, am said the girl, but it is not the place where I do be that makes me very homesick, it is the place where I don't be. And isn't that a good description of the source of our discontent always? A supreme purpose to please God here and now, To do his will this present hour, a consciousness of his interested smiling presence, will relieve us from the homesick longing and discontented hungering for the things we cannot have at present. If we only knew how to fully appreciate the privileges we have every day in our fellowship with Christ and in our opportunities to serve and praise God, most of the wants that fret us would cease to have any power to annoy. I have been reading the story of a lovely old Christian man who had been a fine singer, but who came to be afflicted with a cancer on his tongue. He went to the hospital for an operation, and when all was ready he held up his hand and said, "'Wait a bit, doctor. I have something to say to you.' The operator waited, and the patient continued. When this is over, doctor, will I ever sing again?" The doctor could not speak. There was a big lump in his own throat. He simply shook his head while the tears streamed down the poor fellow's face, and he trembled convulsively. The sick man then appealed to the doctor to lift him up, with which request the physician complied. He said, I have had many a good time singing God's praises, and you tell me, Doctor, I can never sing any more after this. I have one song to sing, which will be the last. It will be a song of gratitude and praise to God as well. Then from the surgeon's table this ripe old Christian sang one of Isaac Watt's hymns familiar to many of us. I'll praise my maker while I've breath, and when my voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler powers. My days of praise shall ne'er be past, while life and thought and being last, or immortality endures. Let us learn our lesson tonight, the lesson of liberty from small and petty slaveries through self-surrender to one lofty and glorious service. End of chapter 31